Volume Three, Chapter Seven, Part One of *The Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century* by Jane Loudon. Volume Three, Chapter Seven, Part One. In the meantime roderick had been completely victorious in spain he had reached madrid and established don pedro as king and was now on his return to seville where he had left monsieur de malet and his charming daughter edric of course accompanied him but the rest of the army had marched to cadiz to embark the greek page only attending upon his master well edric said the king laughing as they approached seville does not your heart beat with pleasure at the thought of quitting spain how can you torment me so roderick torment you why i thought you would be in raptures though i must own if you are they are the most melancholy raptures i ever beheld in my life this raillery is not generous it is unworthy of you i own i love mademoiselle de malet but i despair and why alas how can i ask her to share the fortunes of a banished man am not i your friend i know it but i cannot brook dependence even upon you i do not wish you to be dependent but what can i do to serve you shall i make war upon this cross old father of yours oh do not speak of him so lightly say what you please of me but spare my father i respect your feelings and as i can say no good of him I will have the discretion to be silent. Edric felt no inclination to reply to this remark, and they travelled on in perfect silence till they reached Seville. Here they found everything changed. The town had been partially rebuilt, and the lovely groves of orange and myrtle trees in the vicinity, glowing with all the rich luxuriance of a southern spring, gave no idea of the scene of ruin and desolation it had before presented they inquired for the house of monsieur de malet and upon entering the inner square or courtyard they found him seated under the piazza that stretched round it enjoying the evening breeze whilst his fair daughter now perfectly recovered was occupied in reading to him a fountain played in the centre of the court its sparkling spray descending in silvery showers whilst innumerable orange trees and flowering shrubs which were placed around perfumed the air with their delicious fragrance and a light awning spread over the roof of the court mellowed the light to a soft though glowing tinge which gave an air of voluptuous languor to the whole scene the delight felt by monsieur de malet and his daughter at again seeing their deliverers was enthusiastic and though it was most openly expressed by the father the burning cheeks and sparkling eyes of pauline spoke quite as intelligibly her silent transport we have long expected you said monsieur de malet for i cannot describe how anxious we are to leave this country pauline has wearied heaven with prayers for your safety and as i have felt my strength decay daily i too have prayed for your return for i have a secret to confide to you which weighs heavily upon my spirits to confide to us cried edric yes to you 
said Monsieur de Malay. It is true I have not known you long, but some circumstances make men better acquainted in a month than the ordinary routine of life does in years. Thus the kindness with which you have treated me, and the important events in which I have seen you engaged, have made me consider you as old and tried friends, and have induced me to confide to you a secret which I have hitherto guarded with the most scrupulous fidelity. What can you mean? asked Edric, in astonishment, whilst Pauline gazed upon her father with a look of the most intense anxiety. Pauline is not my child, said the old man impressively. Pauline uttered a cry of agony that thrilled through the souls of her auditors, and threw herself at his feet, looking up in his face with an expression of the bitterest anguish, as though she implored him not to desert her. Monsieur de Malet's agitation was equal to her own, and as he fondly regarded her, he continued, Yes, miserable being that I am, I am not her father. Alas, often when I have beheld her enduring hunger and thirst for my sake, when I have seen her delicate frame exhausted with fatigue or shivering with cold, whilst still with angelic sweetness, she has seemed to forget her own sufferings, and to think only of alleviating mine. Oh, then, how I have burnt to tell her that I did not deserve her kindness, and that I was an alien from her blood. Oh, father, my dearest father, cried Pauline, her eyes streaming with tears, what do you not deserve from me? What is there that I could do? that could half express my love and gratitude. Alas, though I am not your child, the tender care you took of my infancy, your kindness, your affection— Pauline could not continue. Her sobs impeded her utterance. My dear child, said Monsieur de Malet, and folding her in his arms, he mingled his tears with hers. Whilst Roderick and Edric were both too powerfully affected to interrupt their sorrows, and stood gazing upon them in silence, though both urgently desired an explanation of this seeming mystery. After a short pause, Monsieur de Mallette resumed, I see the astonishment I have caused you, and my heart bleeds for the pain I have been compelled to inflict upon Pauline, but I could not die in peace without disclosing the truth. Oh, do not talk of dying, cried Pauline, still clinging to him with the fondest affection. And who are the parents of Mademoiselle de Malet? demanded Roderick. Alas, I know not, returned the Swiss. About twenty years ago, I was travelling in England with my wife, who, afflicted with an incurable disease, had been advised to try the skill of English physicians they being considered the most able in the world. One night, my poor wife being exhausted with fatigue, we stopped at a small inn in a village near the sea-coast. The night was tempestuous, and a blazing light in the kitchen tempted us to wait there whilst the parlour was prepared for us. A woman sat near the fire with a lovely little girl, about two years old, playing at her feet. My poor wife was always passionately fond of children, 
though heaven had never blessed us with any and attracted by the exquisite beauty of the little cherub she took it in her arms and began to caress it is your honour fond of children asked the woman with an evident affectation of vulgarity i dote upon them replied my wife oh louis continued she addressing me in french if i could leave such an angel as this to supply my place to you i think i could be resigned to die if your honour's like the child you may have her said the woman i started but recollecting that from the over-education of the lowest classes in england they were all linguists the circumstance of the woman understanding what we said did not appear extraordinary she is my child continued the woman i live hard by and have only taken shelter here from the storm the landlady knows me very well my husband has been dead some months and as i find it hard work to maintain myself and the child too i own i shall be glad to place her in hands where she is sure to be taken care of the woman's tale seemed plausible and my wife and i were easily induced to conclude the bargain which gave us possession of pauline we visited the cottage of this woman the next morning and found her story true excepting that she had only lived there a few weeks this however appeared immaterial as indeed she had not fixed any definite time for the period of her residence and gave some reason which i have forgotten for having left her former abode when her husband died soon after this we left england taking pauline with us her beauty increased with her years and when my poor wife died which she did a few months after our return to switzerland pauline formed the sole consolation of my life two or three years afterwards a friend of mine visiting england called by my desire upon the reputed mother of pauline he found the cottage deserted and the landlady of the inn told him that the woman had left the place a few hours after we had done so ourselves this circumstance combined with the evidently affected vulgarity of the woman and the elegance and delicacy of pauline has always induced me to suspect i was the dupe of a deception and that the child had been stolen from parents in a superior rank of life to that in which i found her whether my conjectures are correct i know not but when i have surveyed the beauty and graces of my child my breast has smote me for confining her to my own humble station and i have determined whenever circumstances would permit to take her to england and endeavour if possible to elucidate the mystery that hangs over her destiny accompany me then to ireland said roderick and when you have stayed there till you are tired if you still wish to prosecute your researches i will give you letters of introduction to the english court and i sincerely hope we may find our fair friend to be a princess of the blood at least in the meantime m de Molay's narrative had caused the greatest agitation in the breasts of edric and pauline not his daughter thought the former whose then can she be and his imagination ran wild amongst a variety of dreams and fancies each more extravagant than the last for to suppose the elegant and accomplished pauline the daughter of a mere peasant was impossible and the transporting hope that she might yet be his with the consent of his father and the approbation of all his friends 
danced before him whilst pauline uncertain what to think and unable to analyse her own sensations felt even amidst the desolation in which the avowal of m de molay had involved her a faint emotion of pleasure still throbbed her heart when she reflected that now her country was that of her lover and that it was possible she dared go no further for her senses seemed unable to support the intoxicating thoughts of what might follow it had been agreed that our friends should remain a few days at seville to give the army at cadiz time to recover from the fatigue of their march previous to their embarkation but the morning after their arrival a courier arrived with dispatches from england which made roderick impatient to leave spain immediately he was at breakfast when these letters which had been forwarded to him from cadiz were put into his hands he changed colour and starting from his seat begged edric to follow him into the garden good god what is the matter asked m de molette nothing nothing replied roderick but that i must return to ireland immediately and waving his hand as though to repel further inquiry he left the room edric followed in silence edric said the irish monarch throwing himself into a garden seat and burying his face in his hands elvira is dethroned and perhaps murdered all owing to my cursed folly in remaining so long in spain elvira exclaimed edric looking at his friend in the most profound amazement for he could not imagine why he took so deep an interest in her fate i see your astonishment edric resumed the king but i have not now time to explain why's and wherefores suffice it to say that i adore elvira and if she perish i will not survive her a piercing shriek burst from the thicket as he uttered these words and both edric and roderick sprang involuntarily to the spot it was vacant they searched the wood but no creature was to be seen it was fancy said edric it was the mummy murmured the king come to chide me for doubting his promises for an instant the mummy cried edric good god what do you mean and he gazed with horror upon the wild and haggard countenance of his friend who he seriously believed had become distracted his looks recalled the fleeting senses of roderick and with a ghastly smile he replied i am not mad though i have enough to make me so we must return to ireland without a moment's delay and there reinforce my army elvira must be restored immediately for her life is in danger from every moment's delay i hope not said edric for though i detest rosabella i do not think her capable of assassination if she be not father morris is returned roderick in a low voice with a look of intense feeling edric turned pale in the name of god tell me who and what you are said he earnestly and how you have obtained this close knowledge of the english court i am called the devil's favourite you know returned roderick smiling in spite of his distress at his friend's embarrassment and it would be very hard if my patron did not give me a hint now and then upon subjects of importance how can you jest upon such a topic asked edric reproachfully true returned roderick as you say the subject is not one to joke upon 
for we must quit seville in a few hours and leave monsieur de molay and the pretty pauline to follow us under the escort of my greek page or rather what perhaps you would prefer you shall stay behind to take care of them and alexis and i will proceed alone oh roderick exclaimed edric how can you imagine i could leave you not even for pauline asked the king smiling not even for pauline repeated edric firmly my love for you surpasses even the devoted love of woman and whilst i breathe neither peril nor pleasure shall tear me from your side my dear edric said roderick the tears glistening in his eyes the next instant however he dashed them away and added gaily but come we must go and make our bows and take our leave like pretty behaved cavaliers and you may trust my discretion edric that i will not tell pauline of your want of gallantry the greek page looked the image of despair when he heard his master's commands that he should remain behind and passions dark as the lowering heavens before a storm hung upon his brow he offered no opposition however to his master's will and crossing his arms upon his breast bent his head in token of obedience the voyage of edric and roderick to ireland was rapid and favourable in the extreme and on their arrival their reception was enthusiastic the irish are proverbially warm-hearted and the rapture with which they now greeted their victorious monarch defies description triumphal arches were erected the walls were hung with tapestry and the streets strewed with flowers to greet his entry into his capital roderick did not refuse these honours but it was evident to all who knew him well that his mind was occupied with other things and in fact he took his measures so promptly and so decidedly that by the time his army with m de molay and his daughter dr and werfen and the greek page arrived from spain he had assembled a force quite sufficient for the restoration of the queen the very day that elvira fled in terror from the power of her rival the combined army of roderick began its march to hasten to her assistance and it had nearly advanced through the whole of the tunnel under the sea which separates the two kingdoms without opposition orders were now given for the soldiers to rest for the night and tents were rapidly pitched for that purpose roderick however could not sleep and he stood with his arms folded gazing at the singular scene before him the innumerable torches fixed against the dark sides of the tunnel shedding their lurid light around and showing distinctly the long line of white tents that stretched as far as the eye could reach whilst the distant roaring of the sea above their heads sounded like the hoarse murmur of gathering thunder whilst roderick was thus engaged edric perceived a group of people enter the cavern from the english side and eagerly inquired for the king they were brought before him they were four in number but one stayed behind holding their horses which looked dreadfully jaded and distressed whilst the other three a man and two women approached and threw themselves at roderick's feet good god it is elvira exclaimed he henry seymour screamed the queen and fell senseless upon the ground in the meantime all was anarchy in england disgusted with the world and with himself the king secluded himself from society and passed his time entirely upon a small estate adjoining the chateau of his father sir ambrose and he often met but they never spoke 
though their hearts yearned towards each other with all his good qualities sir ambrose was prejudiced and obstinate he loved his son passionately but he could not endure a rebel and the poor old man was fast sinking into the grave for want of the very consolation he would not condescend to receive edmund also was wretched the habits of respect in which he had always been brought up towards his father prevented his daring to intrude upon him against his will though he would willingly have relinquished his empty title of king and have exposed himself to all the miseries of absolute want to have obtained the privilege of throwing himself upon his father's neck and receiving his forgiveness the title of edmund was indeed now only an empty one rosabella alone exercised the power of a sovereign and her haughty temper and capricious tyranny made her universally detested monarchs to be respected must be firm and whilst they continue to inspire respect they may sometimes venture to be tyrants but rosabella was no longer respected she was despised and the commons finding themselves oppressed and their complaints completely unattended to began to regret the gentle sway of elvira she at least said they treated us with kindness and if she did refuse our petitions it was with gentleness but now we are treated with scorn and trampled beneath the feet not only of the queen but of her confessor we will not we cannot bear it sad and mournful also was the life of the duke of cornwall for days and hours he would wander in the gardens of his chateau with his friend sir ambrose and lament sorrowfully over the complete destruction of his hopes in these walks they often saw edmund gliding at a distance like a solitary ghost and plunging amongst the trees when he thought himself observed how changed edmund is become said the duke alas how guilt corrodes the heart he has destroyed my daughter and is now suffering the penalty of his crime say not so rejoined sir ambrose who could not bear to hear his son blamed by any one but himself if elvira had not eloped with prince ferdinand eloped with prince ferdinand cried the duke i did not expect this what can you sir ambrose join in the general voice will you slander poor elvira elvira whom you have known from her cradle whom you have loved and fondled as your own child patience patience my good friend i have no patience i can have no patience when i hear my daughter scandalized my poor motherless girl remember if she should err she lost her mother in her childhood she has been always brought up with me and as she has been the playfellow of your sons from her earliest infancy perhaps she may not act according to those rigid restraints imposed upon her sex but those who have been secluded from the society of men but she means well sir ambrose she means well i am certain and i dance her for her virtue with my life besides you know she has always been used to have an intimate friend of the other sex you know edmund no one blamed her whilst edmund was her friend and who dares blame her now no one i trust whilst i have an arm and a sword ready to defend her my good friend you reason like a fond father who though he sees is willing to excuse the faults of his offspring your judgment condemns elvira 
even more than mine. No, no, if I thought her wrong, I should blame her as you do. Your partiality to Edmund blinds you, and you fancy my poor child has a thousand faults, because she was not sensible to the merit of your son. You mistake me quiet. My opinion of Elvira would be just the same if Edmund were not in existence. Though I acknowledge frankly that every time I see his fine noble countenance, worn with care, his pale cheeks and sunken eyes, I feel a pang through my inmost soul. It is a strange infatuation that she should repulse my noble boy, and yet elope so readily with the youth she scarcely knew. Take care what you say, Sir Ambrose. Take care what you say. I will not have my child insulted. I do not wish to insult her. I speak but the truth. I do not even think her guilty, though the whole court rings with her shame. Guilt, shame, and this to me. Oh, God, oh, God, I have lived too long to hear my child thus basely slandered and be unable to resent it. Base, and is this the conclusion of your long friendship? Base, and have I lived to be called base for merely blaming a coquettish wanton? Wanton, cried the duke, and transported by his passion, he struck Sir Ambrose violently. The aged baronet could not endure this insult. His sword flew from his cupboard, and in a few seconds these ancient friends were engaged in mortal combat. End of chapter 7, part 1 of volume 3